Hi, this is Stephen Cherry for Radio Spectrum. Today's episode may confuse people and search engines alike. We've titled this podcast series Radio Spectrum, but our topic for today is the radio spectrum. Could you hear the capital letters the first time I said that and all lowercase letters the second time? I thought not. Anyway, let's dive in. Here's a quote and a 10-point quiz question. Who said this? The most pressing communications problem at this particular time, however, is the scarcity of radio frequencies in relation to the steadily growing demand. Everyone who guessed that it was a U.S. president gives yourselves one point. If you guessed that it was President Harry Truman in 1950, give yourself the other nine points. At the time, he was talking mainly about commercial radio, the nascent technology of television, ham radios, that sort of thing. We didn't even yet have Telstar, a satellite linkage in the land-based telephone monopoly. That would come a decade later. A decade after that, Motorola researcher Martin Cooper would make the first mobile telephone call. By the late 70s, the Federal Communications Commission was set to allocate spectrum specifically for these new mobile devices. But its first spectrum allocation was a messy affair. The U.S. was divided up into 120 cellular markets, with two licenses each, and in some cases, hundreds of bidders. By 1984, the FCC had switched over to a lottery system. Unsurprisingly, people gamed it. The barriers to entry were low, and many of the 37,000 applications, yes, 37,000 applications, simply wanted to flip the spectrum for a profit if they won. The FCC would soon move to an auction system. Overnight, the barrier to entry went from very low to very high. One observer noted that these auctions were not, quote, for the weak of heart or those with shallow pockets. Cellular adoption grew at a pace no one could anticipate. In 1990, there were 12 million mobile subscriptions worldwide and no data services. 25 years later, there were more than 7 billion subscriber accounts sending and receiving about 50 exabytes per day and accounting for something like 4% of global GDP. Historically, cellular has occupied a chunk of the radio spectrum that had television transmissions on the one side and satellite use on the other. It should come as no surprise that to meet all that demand, our cellular systems have been muscling out their neighbors for some time. The FCC is on the verge of yet another auction to start on December 8th. Some observers think this will be the last great auction for at least a while. It's for the lower portion of what's called the C-band, which stretches from 3.7 to 4.2 gigahertz. Here to sort out the who, what, when, why, and a little bit of the how of this auction is Mark Gibson, Senior Director for Business Development and Spectrum Policy at Comscope, a venerable North Carolina-based manufacturer of cellular and other telecommunications equipment, the parent company of Aris, which might be a more recognizable name to our listeners. And most importantly, he's a double E and an IEEE member. Mark, welcome to the podcast. 
Thank you, Stephen. I love that intro. Uh, I learned something. Uh, I got one point, uh, but I didn't get the other nine. So, but thank you. That was very good. <laughs> thank you. Uh, Mark, maybe we could start with why the C-band and this particular 280 megahertz portion of it is so important that one observer called it the Louisiana Purchase of Cellular. <laughs> well, that's a great question. Probably the best reason is how much spectrum is being offered. I believe this is the largest contiguous spectrum in the mid-bands, you know, not considering the millimeter wave, which is the spectrum above 28 gigahertz. Those were offered in large gigahertz chunks, but, you know, they have propagation issues. So this is the mid-band. And, of course, we know mid-band spectrum has uh, superior propagation characteristics over millimeter wave. So you have 280 megahertz of spectrum that's in basically the sweet spot of the range. Spectrum that Harry Truman didn't think about when he talked about uh, the, the dearth. And so that's the primary reason, uh, a large amount of spectrum in the middle of upper middle of the mid-band range is one of the reasons this is of so much interest. I'm going to ask you a question about 5G that's maybe a bit cynical. Uh, 5G makes our phones more complex. It uses a ton of battery life. It will often increase latency, something we had a recent podcast episode about. And it's fabulously expensive for providers to roll out and therefore will probably increase costs for customers or at least prevent our already too high costs from decreasing. When, if ever, will it be a greater plus than a minus? That's a great question because uh, when you consider the C-band, the spectrum at 3700 to 3980, that let me back up a minute. One of the reasons uh, the issues exist for 5G has to do with the fact that, for all intents and purposes, 5G has been deployed in the millimeter wave bands. If you, for example, read a lot of the consumer press, Wall Street Journal, and others, when they talk about 5G, they talk about it in the context of millimeter wave. They talk about a small cells, indoor capability, and the like. When you think about 5G in the context of this spectrum, the C band. A lot of the concerns you're talking about, at least in terms of some of the complexity uh, with respect to propagation, begin to diminish. Now, the inherent complexities with 5G still exist, and some of those are overcome with a lot of spectrum, um, especially the fact that this spectrum will be TDD, time division duplex. But I'd say that for the most part, the fact that this band will be, the 5G will be deployed in in this mid-band range will give it superior characteristics over millimeter wave, at least in the fact you've got a lot of spectrum and also have it in the lower mid-band so you can travel further. The other inherent uh, concerns, I guess you can say about 5G are the same things we heard about 4G versus 3G. So I think it's just a question of getting used to the Gs as they get bigger. The one main thing that will help this out is this band of spectrum, as well as the band that's right below it, which is the CBRS band. That's supposed to be a 5G band as well. Now, there was already an auction this summer of the band just above this at 3.5 gigahertz. The process of December's auction started back in 2018. The auction itself will be held at the end of 2020. What took so long? Well, part of the problem is that the band is occupied by, right now, I think the number is around 16,500 Earth stations uh, on the ground and then 20-some satellites in in the air. So it took a long time to figure out how to accommodate them, uh, their incumbents. And so the age-old question when new spectrum is made available, what to do with the incumbents? Do you share? Do you relocate? Do you do both and call it transitional sharing? There was a lot of discussion in that regard around 
the owners of the spectrum. The interesting thing here, you have an earth station on the ground that transmits to the satellite that could be anybody. It could be, for a lot of these are broadcasters. NPR has a, a network, Disney, ESPN, the regular cable broadcasters and whatnot. Then you have satellite owners who are different. And then you have earth station owners who are different. So in this, this ecosystem, there's three different classes of owners. And trying to sort out their rights to the spectrum was complicated. And then how you deal with them in regard to sharing relocation. In the end, the commission came down to uh, relocation. And so now the complexity is around how do you relocate? And it relocate is sort of a generic term. It means to move in spectrum, basically we'll repack them. But how do you repack 16,000 earth stations into the band above? Uh, that will be into the 4.0 to 4.2 gigahertz band. So that's taken a long time to sort out who has the rights to the spectrum. How do we make it equitable? How do we repack? And then how do we craft an auction? Those are some of the main reasons it's taken so long. Auction rules have evolved over time, but there's still a little bit of the problem of bidders bidding with the intention of flipping the spectrum instead of using it themselves. Can you say a word about the 2016 auction? Well, that's a good question. With all the spectrum auctions the commission, the FCC manages, what they try to do is establish what's called uh, substantial service uh, requirements to ensure that those that are going to buy the spectrum put it to some use. But that doesn't eliminate totally speculation. And so with the TV band auction, there was a fair amount of speculation, mostly because that 600 megahertz spectrum is really very valuable. That auction went for $39 billion, if I'm not mistaken. But there was another auction that was complicated because of the, the, the situation of TV stations having to be moved. But we saw this in the uh, AWS-3, which is the 1.7, 2.1 gig bands. A lot of speculation that went on. And we saw this in great detail in, or great sense in the millimeter wave. In fact, there had been a lot of speculation in the millimeter wave bands even before the auctions occurred with companies having acquired the spectrum and hanging on to it, hoping that they could sell it. In fact, several of them did and made a lot of money. But the way the commission tries to address that primarily is through substantial service requirements over the period of their license term, which is typically 10 years. And what it says loosely is that, you know, in order for a licensee to claim their spectrum, they have to put it to some substantial service, which is usually a percent of the rural and percent of the urban population over a period of time. Yeah, the 2016 auction was gamed by uh, hedge funds and others who figured out that particular slices in the spectrum, particular TV stations, if they could hold them, they could keep another buyer from holding a continuous band of spectrum. I should point out that the designers of the 2016 auction won a Nobel Economic Prize for their innovations. But yeah. um, yeah. I'm just curious, like <laughs> the, the hedge fund sold these slices at a premium so that there wouldn't be a gap in a range of spectrum. What would have happened if there were to be those little gaps? Well, if you have gaps in spectrum, that's not, it's not terrible. It's just you don't then have robust use of the spectrum. What our regulator and most regulators endeavor to do in any spectrum auction is to make allocations or the assignments, if you will, contiguous. In other words, there's no gaps. You know, if there are gaps, what it means is you have a couple of things. One is if you have a gap in the spectrum for whatever reason, and that gap, there are people using that, then you have adjacent channel concerns. And these, these are concerns that could give rise to adjacent channel interference from dissimilar services. With the way that spectrum auction was run, they were able to separate, if you will, bifurcate the auction so that there was a low and a high, and they sold them both at once. Base station frequencies were in the upper portion, and the handset frequencies were in the 
lower portion of that van. And so if you have gaps, then you have problems with who's in those gaps. And that gives rise to sharing issues. The other thing is if there's gaps, the value of the spectrum can, tends to get diminished because it's not contiguous. And we've seen that in some instances and some of the other bands, somewhat arcane bands like AWS4, some of the bands that are owned by DISH and whatnot. There's been a lot of consolidation in the cellular market. Uh, in fact, we have only three major players now that T-Mobile acquired Sprint, a merger that finally finished merging earlier this year. So who are the buyers in this auction? Well, they run the gamut. I mean, there's a lot of them there. What's interesting, a couple of interesting things have come out of it. The tier ones are well represented by AT&T, T-Mobile, Sprint, and Verizon. So we expect them all to participate. And interestingly enough, T-Mobile only bought eight markets. If you want to compare this to the spectrum right below it with the CBRS for, you know, at least a spectrum comparison, T-Mobile only bought eight markets in that. So anyhow, the tier the tier ones are well represented, but so are the MVNOs, the cable operators. And, and what's interesting is that Charter and Comcast are bidding together. Now, ostensibly, that's because they want to make sure they deconflict some of the spectrum situations and market area boundaries. In other words, they're generally separate in terms of their coverage areas, but uh, there were some concerns that they may have some problems with interference deconfliction at the edges of the boundaries. So they decided to participate together, which is interesting. You know, at the end of the day, there's 58 companies that qualified to bid, and there are a lot of wireless internet service providers, or we call WISPs, for whom this would be a fairly uh, expensive endeavor. The WISPs did participate in the CBRS auction, but that by comparison will probably be easily an order of magnitude below what the C-band will be. But you look at it, it's the uh, usual suspects. It's most everybody that's participated in a major spectrum auction going way back to probably the first ones, although their names have changed. You have a lot of rural telcos, rural telephone companies, a lot of smaller cable operators, just generally people that could be speculating. Don't see a ton of that in this band, in this spectrum, but there are some that look like they could be some speculators, but I, I don't see a lot of that. I think people think of Verizon as the biggest cellular provider in the U.S. with the biggest, best coverage overall, but they've been playing catch-up when it comes to Spectrum. Well, their Spectrum position is interesting. Um, they act like they're playing catch-up, but they do have a lot of Spectrum. They have a lot of Spectrum in the millimeter wave band. They have a lot of 28-gig Spectrum from the acquisition of um, LMDS, which is a defunct service. And so they have a lot of 28-gig Spectrum. They got a lot of Spectrum in the AWS auction. They got a lot of Spectrum. In fact, they were the largest Spectrum acquirer. No, I'm sorry, second largest Spectrum acquirer in the CBRS auction. They got a lot of spectrum in the 600 megahertz auction. So I don't know that they're spectrum poor compared perhaps to you know some of the others, but they just want to have a broader spectrum footprint, it looks like, or spectrum position. You mentioned DISH Network before. The T-Mobile the Sprint merger required that it give up some spectrum to help DISH become a bigger competitor. I think right. the government's intent was that it be a fourth major to replace Sprint. Did that happen? Is that happening? Is DISH heavily involved in this auction? Uh, DISH is involved. I'm not sure to what extent, you know, that heavily are. We haven't seen anything come out yet with respect to down payments, and down payments give you some indication of their interest in the spectrum. I will say that they spent the most amount of money, over a billion dollars, in the CBRS auction, so they were very interested in that. And their spectrum position is, like I said, it's really a melange of spectrum across the bands. They have a bunch of spectrum in the AWS 4, a bunch of spectrum in the old uh, 1.4 gig. Their spectrum holdings are really sort of all over the place. 
and they have some spectrum that they risk losing because of this whole substantial service situation. They haven't built some of their networks out. And they have a unique situation because they're a company who has not built a wireless network yet. And so most of us expect that uh, DISH, uh, again, will build their spectrum portfolio as needed, and then they can decide what they want to do. But you're correct. They were considered by the commission as possibly being able to help with the 2.5 gig spectrum and some of the other spectrum that was uh, made available through the uh, Sprint T-Mobile acquisition or merger. Auctions are about as exciting as the British game of cricket, which is incredibly boring if you don't know the rules. And (laughs) And going about as long, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But it is very exciting if you do understand the rules and the teams and the best players and all that. What else should we be looking out for to get maximum excitement out of this auction? Well, I don't think anybody who's not interested in spectrum auctions is going to find this exciting other than the potential amount of monies coming into the treasury. And, you know, at the end of the day, 28 to $35 billion is not chump change. So there's that interest there. And when you compare that to CBRS and other auctions, you know, the auctions generate a fair amount of monies. I think that some things to keep in mind, uh, just to watch the auction, are the posturing by the various key players, certainly the tier ones and the cable companies, and just to watch what they do. It'll be interesting to also watch what the WISPs do and how the WISPs um, manage their uh, bidding in some of their market regions. It was interesting in the CBRS auction, the one location that generated the highest per pop uh, revenue was a place called Loving, Texas, which has a total population, depending upon who you ask, of between 82 to 140 people. Yet the, that license went for many millions of dollars. So the dollar per megahertz pop, which is an, a measure of how much the spectrum was worth, was in the hundreds of dollars. So there's that stuff that happens, which is, you know, we all looked at that and kind of scratched our heads. For this one, like I said, it'll be the typical looking at the tier one tier twos too, for that matter, and all the telcos, what they're going to do, certainly what DISH is going to do um, and how they do that. But you won't know that during the auction because you you don't know who's bidding on what per se. The, a lot of the bidding is closed. And so you won't know, for example, that AT&T or T-Mobile or DISH or whomever are bidding on a given market. You'll only know that at the end. What you will know, though, is at the end of the rounds, uh, how much the markets are going for. Then you can start making educated guesses as to what's happening there based on you know what you might know about a given entity. It's also interesting to look at the entity names because there's the applicant name and then there's the name of the company. And there's sort of a lot of, it's not chicanery, but hidden stuff going on. For example, DISH is bidding as um, Little Bear Wireless. So that's interesting because they, they had a different name for the CBRS auction. So anyhow, you know, I, I will be, and my, my cohorts will be watching this auction, just sort of seeing, first of all, how high it goes, how high some of the markets go. Uh, and then at the end, when the auction's all done, who bid for what, and then try to piece together what all that means. So what will Comcast's role be in the auction and, and what would be a good outcome? Well, you know, it's interesting. Comcast does not own Spectrum per se. Do they, they do a lot of leasing. I think they may have won some Spectrum, a little bit of Spectrum, the 600 megahertz band. But they participated in, in AWS, AWS One as a consortium called Spectrum Co., And they were there with Cox and two other uh, smaller cable companies. And they ended up getting a bunch of spectrum. I think they ended up bidding $4 billion in that auction and won a bunch, but couldn't figure out what to do with it. The uh, association uh, dissolved and um, the spectrum then was left to various other companies. So I think for for Comcast, it'll be uh, good if they get spectrum in the 
markets that they want to participate in, obviously. You know, as you probably are aware, the auction is going to be done in two phases, or the spectrum is going to be awarded in two phases. I think the auction is going to be done in two phases as well. The phase one is for the lower, the A block, which is the um, 3,700 to 3,800, the lower 100, uh, in the top 46 PEAs, partial economic areas. So we'll, that auction will happen, and then the rest of it will be uh, sold, the, re- the rest of the 180. So the question is, well, where will they be bidding? Will they be bidding in their DMAs, which is their market areas, overlay with the PEAs they'll be bidding in? I don't know that, uh, but I, you know that'll be interesting to watch. But I think to the extent that Comcast gets any spectrum anywhere, I think it'll be good for them. I'm pretty sure they can turn around and put it to good use. They have interesting plans, you know, with strand-mounted uh, approaches, which are really very interesting. So we'll see. That'll be interesting to watch. And, and what will your company's role in the auction be, and, and what would be a good outcome for Comscope? Our role is we don't we don't participate in the auction. Uh, I and my Spectrum colleagues will be watching it closely just to kind of discern, you know, sort of the parlor game of who's doing what. Of course, then the auction ends, we find out we're all wrong, but that's okay. But we'll be, you know, we'll be looking at who's doing what, kind of trying to figure out who to anticipate who's doing what. Obviously, Comscope will be selling all of the auction winners, what we do, which is infrastructure equipment, base station antennas and everything in our potpourri. Well, it would be nice for you guys if Dish and the cable companies do well, since they have to start from scratch when it comes to equipment. True. That's true. Yeah, that would be good. And we work with all of these folks. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that comes together. And uh, other than the money in the treasury, what would be uh, some good outcomes for consumers and citizens? Well, that's a good question. Having this spectrum now for, for 5G, and actually now we're hearing 6G, in this band will be very useful for consumers. It'll mean that, you know, your handsets will now be able to operate without putting your head in a weird position. You know, it will accommodate the millimeter wave antennas that are uh, inherent in the handsets. It's right above CBRS. So there's some contiguity. There's another band that's being uh, looked at. There's a rulemaking open on it right now. That's uh, 3450 to 3550. That's right below CBRS. So that's 100 megahertz. So when you consider that plus the CBRS band plus the C band, you're looking now at 530 megahertz of mid-band spectrum possible. And so for consumers, that'll open up a lot of the uh, use cases that are unique to 5G, things like Internet of Things, uh, vehicular technology use cases that can only be partially addressed with the 5.9 gig band. If you've been following that, CDV2X uh, capabilities, you know, to push more data to the vehicle uh, will be much more doable across these swaths of spectrum, certainly in this band. We've seen interesting applications that were born at a CBRS that should really see a good life in this band, things like precision agriculture and that sort of thing. So I think consumers will benefit from having the 280 contiguous megahertz of mid-band spectrum to enable all the use cases that 5G claims to enable. Well, Mark, as the saying goes in the American form of cricket, that is baseball, uh, you can't tell the players without a scorecard. Uh, Thanks for giving us a scorecard and for joining us today. Well, my pleasure, Stephen. Uh, Very good questions. I really enjoyed it. Thanks again. That's very nice of you to say. We've been speaking with Mark Gibson of telecommunications equipment provider Comscope about the upcoming auction December 8th of more cellular spectrum in the C-band. Radio Spectrum is brought to you by IEEE Spectrum, the member magazine of the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers, a professional organization dedicated to advancing technology for the benefit of humanity. 
This interview was recorded November 30th, 2020. Our theme music is by Chad Crouch. You can subscribe to Radio Spectrum on the Spectrum website, where you can sign up for alerts or for our newsletter, or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We welcome your feedback on the web or in social media. For Radio Spectrum about the Radio Spectrum, I'm Stephen Cherry. Cherry.